Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit's particular attention on us tonight because tonight's topic really wrestles with our soul. As much as the devil would like to take away salvation from us, he tricks us in our Christian life with the amount of material goods that we collect. And Jesus, you reminded us that the battle for our soul is really one where we have to choose between you and the material goods of this world. And tonight, we're going to be talking about that topic. It's very difficult, it's very dark, and it's one that certainly Satan does not want us to, to discuss or to have any triumph over. So I pray particularly that you'd send the Holy Spirit to be with us tonight in that regard. Just because of the nature of this topic and because of how much it just seizes our heart and, and locks it down in a way and keeps us from being free to be the types of people that you called us to be, Lord. So we pray, Lord, as we always do each night, that we thank you first for the people that are here that have dedicated the next hour or so to lay aside time to study your word and to take seriously the command to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that they have. Thank you, Lord, for that commitment, and I pray that we honor that commitment in what we're about to discuss. Pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, tonight we're continuing our series on money, but we're taking a sharp left turn today. The last couple of weeks, we've been talking about monetary issues about money. So we're going to go in a totally different direction, which is going to change the course, but it's also part of the talk on money. So here's where we've been. We started with a general introduction to it. We talked about the excesses of money. We talked about the number of verses in the Bible, 2,300 verses that discuss money in the Bible. The 16 out of 38 parables that deal with money, okay, and how complex of an issue it is. We started off with a discussion about debt, the evils of debt, the biblical prescriptions against debt. We talked about budgeting. In the last couple of weeks, we spent a lot of time talking about savings and investments, our commandment to save, where we get money to invest. And of course, last week was how to raise a million dollars for missions on $3 a day. Ryan, this week, challenged, took the challenge that I threw down to look at your finances and see if you could find a few bucks that you were wasting every single day. And what did you find? Yeah. You're wasting money? Yeah, I'm a lot of money wasting. All right. But tonight, like I said, we're taking a sharp left turn and going in a different direction. Now that we've studied about our duty and our obligation biblically to make money for the kingdom, we have to move into a little bit more difficult discussion, and that is the hold that materialism and money has in our heart. Where are we going with this? You guys know we started by looking at the Invisible Children video. You guys know that our goal is to end up talking about poverty and debt relief, especially in the African nations. But you also know that we said that it's a cheap shot for us to do a small little fundraiser and get all excited about something when our own monetary lives are not in order, that we need to get ourselves in order first. So we're getting closer to that. Today we're gonna to talk about materialism and you'll see that it leads us to the most important step next, which is giving. All right, next slide. Let's talk about materialism in America. Here's some issues to look at. So America's favorite pastime is not baseball or football. Apparently, it's shopping. Okay, now, <laughs> some, some women already know this. A few men actually have figured it out. Shopping. In the United States, there are 16 and a half square feet of mall for every person alive. All right? So there's actually a place for you. If they're going to divvy up the whole malls of America and shopping centers, they could actually make a store for every single one of you and pack it with the desires of your heart. All right? More people visit the Mall of America than Disneyland and the Grand Canyon combined. 70 million Americans are now shopping online, keeping alive the new economy of materialism. 
online markets and eBay. I'm probably one of those guys that like single-handedly keep the company afloat. All right. The average American shops six hours per week, spends only 40 minutes playing with their kids. By the age of 20, most of you in here have seen a million commercials. In the last few years, more Americans have declared bankruptcy than graduated from college. That's pretty shocking. 90% of divorce cases have money listed somewhere in the top few reasons as the reason for divorce. Materialism is a serious problem in America, but I want to really define what it is because a lot of us have different definitions. Let's look at what the biblical definition is. Go to the next slide. Here's why I like to look at materialism. God's original intent for mankind was to rule over things, animals, give them dominion over the earth, natural resources, Materialism perverts that completely and makes things rule over mankind. We're in debt, we want it now, we need it today, we gotta have it, and we want it. And we spend our whole lives shopping for it. Most of you will resonate with this feeling. That feeling of wanting it, wanting it, wanting it, and buying it, and then feeling empty because now it was so much more fun trying to get it than actually having it. That speaks to the materialism that's in our heart. Here's another definition. God created us to love people and use things. Materialism makes us love things and use people. It's another perversion of what God told us to do with things. Now, throughout the Bible, there's a lot of warnings about materialism. Here's a couple of them that you'll see. If you guys remember the story of Achan, he was a warrior in Joshua's army. And the Lord said, I want you to destroy those people and I don't want you to take a single thing. What did Achan do? He went, he killed, but he found this robe that just looked so good. Oh yeah, and a little bit of silver next to it. Oh yeah, and this one bar of gold next to it. And he said, I know we're supposed to destroy all this stuff, but if I could just have this, I'd be so happy. So he buried it under his tent. And what happened to the nation of Israel? In every battle after that, they began to become, they were slaughtered. They were dying. They were losing. They didn't understand why until they fell down and God basically told Joshua, go find this guy and find out what he took and you'll find out that's the reason I've turned against you because the materialism has become idolatry in front of me. Look at the story of Samson and Delilah. Why did she betray him? For money. Solomon, the wisest, richest man. We used him last week in investment. Remember, Solomon was the one who gave us all that investment theory about diversification, multiplication. He was supposed to be the wisest and smartest guy, also the richest guy around, but why he, he, what did he do at the end of his life? He basically accumulated as much as he could. He's the same guy that writes Ecclesiastes, which we're going to look at later, where he says, like, all is vanity, right? I mean, he's good at writing the poetry part of it. He's good at telling us the wisdom is no matter what you have, it's never going to be good enough. It'll never satisfy your soul, but he was trying really hard. He accumulated everything he could, including wives, and that led to his demise in the end. You guys also know about the book of Acts, and an extreme example of someone saying, I'm going to give, and we talked about this last week, I'm going to give but I'm not going to give all. I'm just going to give part, which we think is our right to do. We think our right is to give a part. I'll give my 10%, leave the 90% alone. That's mine. We see that the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts felt differently about that, and both of those people were struck down dead. Ben? They were struck dead because they were giving to, to look good. I mean, 
they didn't, they didn't have to give what they gave. That's correct. But what they did was they lied in what they were doing because they wanted to look a certain way. But inside their heart, they pretended to give the entire amount, but they held back. And I think that shows us that in our society, we think, but isn't that their right to hold back? I mean, it's their field, right? They sold it. They gave 60% and held back 40. Like, that'd be generous under our standards, right? In our individualistic kind of society, like, what's wrong with that? We should applaud them. We'll have, like, a banquet dinner for them. They become an elder at the church for that, right? You find your biggest donors and you make them elders, but they were pretending something, and what was the real sin was they were holding back greedily because they couldn't give up that part, and yet they pretended to give all of it. Materialism really takes hold of our heart. Here's Jesus himself on the next slide saying this. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Direct opposite of our society, right? The he who dies with the most toys wins society. We always make fun of that bumper sticker, and yet every one of us, if you looked at our life, we believe it deep down because we keep collecting stuff or we keep wanting more stuff. Watch out, Jesus says. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. So I'm not going to give you the dumb answer tonight or the easy answer like, we all know materialism is wrong. How many people think materialism is right? Let's get that over with. Okay, good. So we're not going to have to make that case tonight. What I'm going to present to you is a case that materialism is stupid. If you're going to bet on something, betting on materialism is stupid. We all know it's wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. We all know how much we love it, though. I mean, we all say, like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But if I just have that one more thing, I'll be okay for a while. Here's where materialism for our life is stupid. Look at the next slide. This is what Randy Alcorn says in his book, Money, Possession, and Eternity. This is why materialism is stupid. Materialism results from a failure to realize that we were made for only one person, Jesus, and one place, heaven. Just think about that for a second. It means that we forget that we're not meant to live on this earth. It means that we forget that our life is not our own anymore, that it was purchased for a price. Those of us who know Christ will come one day to be with, with, will be with him in heaven. Until then, nothing can satisfy us. Nothing can satisfy us. Materialism, therefore, is a lie that Satan whispers in our ears. If you had this thing or this person, you'd finally be happy. As long as we live by the lie, regardless of what we say we believe, we are practicing materialists. I think everybody in this room is a materialist in one degree or another. Some of us are better at shedding materialism than others. This is the hardest part for me of going through money because over the last few weeks, I could talk about debt reduction because I've done that. I could talk about budgeting because I'm a master of that. I have a finance degree. I could talk about investments and savings because I've done that. And I get to feel really good about those pieces. But when we start talking about materialism, it starts to turn my stomach a little bit. Because I realize, honestly, this is the hardest topic for me to tell you to do something about because I have to tell myself to do something about this first. Materialism is the kind of sickness that reminds us, well, it just keeps us from understanding that heaven is our ultimate destination. And we spent six to eight weeks studying heaven together. And it seemed like such a great destination. And there was also something else we studied, and there was a monetary currency to heaven. That there was a treasure principle to heaven. There was something about it. And we, for some reason, 
have to understand how that currency translation works. Jesus tells us that the way it works is the more you have now, the less you will have later. And that starts to really scare me because I'm enough of a materialist that I want it now and I want it later. I'm the kind of materialist who when I get excited about heaven, I'm thinking about the big house in heaven, which is probably the wrong thing to do because that means that the more I think about how big my house in heaven is going to be, the smaller it's getting. <laughs> That's how backwards of a materialist I am because I don't long for heaven. We talked about that during our heaven series. And even after we got rid of the notion that it was a big sing-along in the sky and we realized how beautiful it was going to be to work and live and love in heaven with Christ and do all the things that he's got prepared for us, I still love this earth so much. And that's the warning that we get because I'm failing to realize that I was made for one person, Jesus Christ, and one destination, heaven. I keep thinking that I was made to live here. Or at least if you looked at my life honestly, you would see that that's really where I was putting my money. Go to the next slide for a second. This is what the reversal doctrine is. But in eternity, it says many of us will find ourselves in the opposite condition for our current situation on earth. Sounds a little radical. I'll show you some scriptural support for it. But you guys remember the story of Lazarus at the gate? Or, you know, hanging out and the rich man inside who has everything before him. And when they die, they seem to be in opposite places. Now, here's some observations about that story. We've used that story in our series on heaven in a lot of ways. But for tonight, look at it from this perspective. It doesn't say that the rich man did anything wrong in that story. He was never doing anything sinful. All he did was just ignore Lazarus. And I don't even know that it says that he ignored him intentionally. He just didn't know he was there. He didn't care about him much. So one thread that I'm going to draw out right now and just leave hanging for a second is that just the ignorance of what's going on with those who are less fortunate is an indication of what might lead us to a reversal of fortune in the next life. But let me show you what Jesus said about that. Here are some of the scriptural supports for why I'm talking about this reversal. Jesus himself said, Woe to you who are well fed. Why would he say that? He was actually giving a, a I mean, he's, in, in the previous verses, he's saying, blessed are you, blessed are you, but woe to you who are well fed. Watch out. Again, another warning that he leaves kind of hanging. James says, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. There's all these warnings about how difficult it is to be rich, how almost it's not a blessing to be rich, it's actually going to weigh you down to be rich. And that's why I'm saying we're taking a left turn, because for the last few weeks I've been showing you how to make immense amounts of money in the kingdom. But remember, it was all for kingdom purposes. Now we're talking about people who make themselves rich for their own account, and it doesn't seem to be a blessing anymore to be able to have that kind of wealth or money. The rich is at a spiritual disadvantage. I believe it's not because God doesn't love the rich. I believe it's because the rich don't love God. Or a better way to put it is the rich are distracted from loving God. Think about it in a number of ways. If you have everything you need, you're not turning to God on a regular basis. 
It's harder to be rich and find God. I mean, Jesus himself said that, didn't he? I tell you the truth. It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. That's always the one that I stop at. I hate that verse. Because the rich young ruler, we explain away really easily. We're like, oh, that was a special case for him because money was his God. So that's why Jesus told him to get rid of all the money. But <laughs> That's good. That was just a special exception. The rich young ruler exception. So as long as we're not a rich young ruler, we're okay. Because look at Zacchaeus only had to give away half. If you guys were, if I were to ask you, hey, we just heard Jesus say that it's harder for, it's just harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Why would it be harder? I wouldn't have so much to surrender. You know, the more you have to surrender. So there's like a critical mass around your goods. The more there is, the harder it is to get rid of them. Today you have to actually intend to be rich in a lot of ways. You have to you have to choose more when he says, which can you serve? You can't serve two masters. Before, maybe if you just inherited, maybe you could serve two masters because it was just there. But today, you have to work so hard to keep it even if you don't have to work hard to get it. Look at the last line up there, basically. It says, the rich learn to rely upon themselves and fail to rely on God. I'm not a rich man, but I'm probably richer than more of <laughs> some of the people in here. And I can tell you that as I've gone from being a young person in college to where I am now, the more money I've made, the less I've relied on God. It's just a truth. I mean, I'm not proud to say it, but I recognize it when I hear Jesus' word. That's why I don't like that verse so much. Because it's always like a touch point for me to keep checking and thinking, am I, when was the last time I was really relying on God? When was the last time I stopped and asked about a decision? When was the last time I was in desperate need for an answer as opposed to, well, there's enough money in the bank. We'll cover it. We'll be okay somehow. It is harder. Now, Jesus never said it was impossible. And we have verses that say all you have to do is confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, and that's true. But what happens is it becomes harder and harder for people who are relying on themselves to ever need to rely on anybody else. Next slide. Here are the things that we should be thirsting for. Instead of material goods, this is what the scriptures tell us we should be searching and thirsting for. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul pants for thee. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. Psalm 63, 1. My soul thirsts for thee, my flesh yearns for thee. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Look at the words thirst. It keeps coming up. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, is anyone, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Even at the end of the book, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. You know, when Israel kept walking away from God over and over, what did he say to them? He said, I don't understand you people. This is the John paraphrase version of the Bible. I would give you living water, but you want to keep drinking out of broken cisterns. I don't get it. All you have to do is thirst for me. And yet you still turn away over and over and over again. Israel was compared to a prostitute, a slut. There's actually words in the Bible that Israel's compared to. They're actually embarrassing to repeat. That's how bad God sees 
us turning away to anything else. He sees it not only as idolatry, the worship of things, but adultery, the worship of anything but him. It's both. Materialism is that bad of a thing. Now, we live with it so much that we don't see it. I like the stories about missionaries who come from other cultures and they're asked about what they think of America. <laughs> and when they just talk about the excess that we live with on a daily basis. One that I read said, I've never been to a country where your house is not a shelter, but a means of displaying the amount of wealth that you have. That a family of that size could easily live in this size of a house, and yet the rest of the house is dedicated to displaying things. I've felt this even more so in the last few weeks because I'm moving between two houses, and I've done something I've never done before. I rented a storage unit. I never did that before. So I went to this place, and they have like row after row after row after row. I mean, my number is like 3,126, and there's like more of these storage units. And I, you know what it, it made me, have you ever guys been to a mausoleum where you walk in and there's just rows and rows of like dead people in those, in those drawers? That's what I felt like at this place, because they have outdoor ones and they have indoor ones, kind of like the outdoor plots and then the indoor ones, okay? I felt like I was at a cemetery, and I think I was, because there's a lot of people's souls in that cemetery. This is what bothers me as I stood there looking at the idea that I was renting a storage unit. I only wanted it for a couple months until we moved from one place to another. But it occurred to me that this has to be the only country on earth where we have so much stuff that we have to pay 150 bucks a month to put stuff we don't want into some box so that it's out of our way instead of just selling it or giving it away or burning it or just not having it. I mean, could you imagine if you went to a country where they're starving? Like, just pick a country in Africa to pull the guy out and go, here, I'd like to show you what we do in our country. We have so much stuff that we actually pay 150 bucks a month to put stuff we don't want in a box somewhere so it doesn't clutter up the rest of the stuff that we have in our house. And it was such a morbid thought in my head. It bothered me that I was there. And, like, we have a nice, neat little storage unit because we don't have that much to put in it. We're, like, kind of... I'm watching these other guys, like they have this, it's like the size of a trailer. And they're like stuffing things up there and the whole thing is packed. Where did you get all that stuff and why is it in the storage if you don't need it? You know, I told you guys $150 a month would be enough for us to raise millions of dollars for poverty relief if we invested that money. And you guys are always asking like, well, where do we get the 150 bucks? And we talked about for the last few weeks where to get it. But there's one, if you have a storage thing, get rid of the stuff and there's your 150 bucks a month. That will turn into millions of dollars over your lifetime if you just invested that money. Maybe that's why the World Bank chides Christians by saying if you just turned over half your tithes, you would solve all poverty and medical needs across the world instead of the crazy things that Christians do with their money. But we live in that materialistic society and we cannot quench our thirst and that's why we have places like the storage shed just in case we might want it later and we're still willing to spend 150 bucks a month to keep it going and by the way that's a small one some of those are like more money next slide here's how materialism destroys us first of all it destroys our spiritual life Jesus in the book of Revelation writes to the church at Laodicea and says, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Isn't that what materialism is all about? But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
Materialism blinds us from those things. We don't even see what our spiritual life is like. We don't see the second one. It blinds us to the curse of wealth. We think wealth is a blessing. There are people in the church who preach the prosperity gospel who believe that, Lord, bless me, bless me. All this is a blessing. And you know what? I have to be careful here. The Lord does bless us with good things. And he's very careful to tell us that there are times when even when we're asking for the wrong things, he's going to give us the right things. And he tells us that even as earthly fathers desire to give good gifts to their children, that their heavenly father, our heavenly father, will give even better gifts. So I don't want to take away from that at all. But wealth is not always a blessing because it makes it harder for us to come to Christ. Remember Jesus' question, what good does it do a man to inherit the whole world if he forfeits his soul? And that question is specifically talking to those people who are trying to inherit the whole world. What good does it do you? Number three, materialism brings us unhappiness and anxiety. You don't see many smiling rich people. They're always too busy trying to keep their money, make their money. They're staying up late at night worrying about money. Yeah, I know if you don't have enough to make ends meet, that's anxiety. But you should see the obsession of people who have made money and are trying to hang on to it because they know what it's like if they lost it. Materialism ends in ultimate futility. If you go to the next slide, I'll actually read this. It's probably too small to see. But this is Solomon's wisdom from Ecclesiastes. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. Exactly the point we just made about anxiety. This is coming from a very, very rich man, by the way. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded. Remember, we talked about hoarding last week as the ultimate sin of money. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune so that his son has, there is nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labors that he can carry in his hand. On the next slide, there's a few more things that I think materialism does. It breeds independence. It creates a sense in us that we can make it on our own, which is a lie. It obscures the best things in life, especially when the best thing in life could be our salvation or the next kingdom to come. Materialism leads to pride and elitism as we look around. We can also add to that list jealousy and envy and strife. It promotes injustice and exploitation fosters immorality, a deterioration of the family, and it detracts us from our central purpose. The parable of the wedding banquet that I have up there, if you want to read it later, I'll tell you what it is really briefly. Another parable that seems to tell us exactly what's going on. A man wants to have a feast for the wedding banquet, and he says, go out and bring these people. He invites certain people, and each one of them has an excuse. If you look carefully at what the excuse is, it's another way that materialism prevents us from our purpose. One's too busy tending land, one's too busy buying an ox, whatever it is that they're doing, they're doing something that furthers their materialistic goals in life. They're too busy to attend the feast. Only the thing they don't know is this feast is in parable land, and this feast is Christ inviting people to the kingdom. But they're too busy to attend. 
And Christ, giving this parable, says this is what it's like for those who are too busy in their materialistic goals in life. They're going to miss out on the invitation to the kingdom because they're too busy seeing about that land or buying that ox. If materialism did nothing else but distract us from the goal of Jesus, it's evil enough. I mean, it's hard enough to find Christ in this world. There's so many competing formulas out there that Christ is this one single solitary way. It's so easy to miss him without being blinded by materialism. Question we have to ask on the next slide is materialism in the church? We're really good at finding materialism in America and our society, but if you look around, I see materialism in the church, in our gospel presentations, in our doctrines, in our ways of running things. We're not immune from it. I used to wonder a long time ago when Jesus came and saw the churches and their buildings, what he would say. I just always used to wonder, is it good, bad? I don't know. But look at all the junk that Christians sell you. It's like a whole industry of stuff that we ourselves want to sell to each other. Look at the scandals that have rocked the church in terms of financial impropriety and how that impacts other people who are looking at the church. And thank God they found one more excuse that they don't have to believe in God now. Oh, that's great. Because I knew those guys were hypocrites and we just proved it. I have three cases right now between church members that have ripped each other off. You'd think that Christians, of all people, would sit down and work things out or forgive each other, do something. It's unbelievable to me the amount of business relationships that are seedy or underhanded that go on in churches. And I guess the greatest part of it is that we as a church do reflect the culture around us. What I mean by that is we keep telling all of our neighbors that the kingdom come, man, we got to go there, we got to get there. And they look at our lives, they're like, it doesn't look like you're living for that life. You're living for this one, just like me. Our kids go to the same school, we drive the same cars, we get the same boat, we do the same thing, everything's the same. Like, it doesn't look like your life is any different than mine. Maybe like, getting the most you can get here, but having a little bit of insurance, make sure you go to the next place. Like, what exactly is it? Because if it's all about the next life, it looks like your life here should be a little different. My life should be a little different. The person I think of whenever I think about this topic is Tony Campolo who's a little bit edgy. He likes to use hyperbole the way Jesus did, but his statement was, no Christian, no Christian can own a BMW or any kind of luxury car. If you own a luxury car, you are not a Christian. That if you're a Christian and you understand what Christ is really saying, you have to drive an economical car and give the rest of the money to whatever it is. I'm not gonna say that's the right answer. I'm just gonna say that's one answer, that we would radically live our lives differently. So you're saying Paul said, I've become all things to all people. And one of those things is if you're a pastor in Newport Beach, you got to have a wife with, well, never mind. Let's just stick with the guy. <laughs> you, <laughs> all right. You got to drive a BMW up to the guy's party because everyone else at the party has one. And you as a pastor need to be accepted in that community. It would be no way could you drive up in an Avalon, right? Um. I mean, if you look at some of the greatest like pastors of all time, maybe the, the starting 12 or the apostles and stuff, they gave up everything that they had. They didn't go out and like get a, you know, the best looking donkey out of like the, the batch. And like Paul, he, even though he did say what he said, what Paul said, 
if you looked at his life, he wasn't a person that made his own riches. He relied on others to give him a tunic and stuff like that. I've seen people well, that, he, that he, live in shacks on purpose. Right. You don't want to be an acidic. You don't want to go to the other extreme, because I think that extreme is just as goofy. Um, and by the way, it's... It, but isn't materialism the fact that God has created a natural cycle that we live in community? And so by us in the United States taking up so much of the resources, we're not living in that community. If you look, if you're talking about a global community, yeah, absolutely. Because next week we're going to talk about poverty, which is the flip side of materialism. By the way, I mean, in my opinion, they're related. The materialism of the West has led to the poverty of the world, right? So next week, when we talk about where we're going to get money to feed the world, I'd like you guys to imagine when you're asking me what should our life look like. I want you to imagine that we go into the heart of Africa, India, and anywhere else you want to pick in Asia, and pick up a whole bunch of people and then bring them into the midst of us and ask them how should we be living our life and have them, maybe they're going to be extreme in their response, but it may help shape our understanding of, maybe the first thing they're going to say is get rid of that storage shed and that 150 bucks and start sending it to my country or whatever it is you're going to do. That'd be at least a start, you know? Look, even, even Paul says in Timothy, charge those who are rich to be rich in good deeds and to do certain things. So I don't know that there's an outright prohibition against wealth, but the question still stands of what should we do with the wealth and how should we live our lives in light of the fact that we have two levels of wealth. One is we live in the most abundant wealthy nation in the world. And within that nation, some of us, most of us have more wealth than even people in this nation do. Especially if you're gonna live in Southern California, that's gonna be the fact. Okay, then my next comment is, is capitalism against the Bible. If this is what is biblically true, then our whole country, the ideal of this whole nation, this Christian nation, is living under sin. I think you're right. I mean, like, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that, I mean, as much as you're trying to add that in as a hyperbole, I think you have to understand that, first of all, if you look at Jesus and his ministry, and you look at the Church of the Apostles right afterwards in Acts, there's nothing <laughs> that resembled capitalism about that community. If you look at what we did in America is we basically borrowed doctrines and philosophies and then also incorporated deistic thought and then started putting everything under God. And it didn't ever really come out of a, hey, Lord, what would you like us to do? Now, certainly there were communities that formed in the early part of our history that were doing that. They were seeking the Lord's will. And I think that's the biggest danger in our church today is that we confuse American ideals for Christian ideals. You'll see churches talk about democracy, like, when was our Lord ever looking for a republic or a democracy? He's a king. It's a kingdom. There's a rule, in, and he's the sovereign, you know? And we confuse that because it's easy to confuse God bless America with some sort of biblical doctrine. I think that they're becoming more and more separate, but they were always separate. They might have coexisted very well for a long time, but the idea of individualism, I don't see that very much in the Bible. The idea of you know, self above all else, I don't see that in the Bible at all. In fact, it's the opposite. I'm not saying he'd be a communist, but he'd definitely be more of a socialist than what we are today, an extreme capitalist. In responding to that, I think the issue is, that's an issue of global economies. Those people will always be in bondage to the American economy. I think what Jesus would look at is say, this isn't a matter of global economies. This is a matter of, I'm not asking you to employ those people, I'm asking you to give everything you have to those people to share in community like the Acts Church did where everybody just says we're all in this together. Why? 
because it's not about the economy on the earth. We're going somewhere else. This is temporary. But see, the problem is you can't preach that to people who don't believe it. Most of the world doesn't believe in Christ. So when we're trying to do that, well, first of all, most of the world doesn't believe in Christ. And I think if you ask the church how many of us really believed it and looked at the way we lived, you'd find that that was even a smaller amount. Dave? No, I was just going to say, I think if you are prior prioritizing yourself to try to make a lot of money, are you in control of money or is money in control of you? That's, that's the point. Because I would encourage us Christians to make as much money as we can so that we can help more people. But it's your heart. I think that's a very good point to go with, which is we define materialism at the very beginning as a perversion of exactly like you said, where money becomes our God. And the other thing is that is exactly what we've been talking about for four weeks, and that's why I'm bringing up materialism now, not at the beginning of our talk. You know, I've been spending four weeks talking about the parable of the talents and our obligation to make money for the kingdom. And now it looks like I'm switching gears and making money look like it's bad. Money is not the issue, like you said. It's materialism that's the issue. Because if you sit down and say, Lord, I don't, I don't want to be materialistic, so I didn't do anything with my life. I didn't do anything with my talents. You'd be like the guy in the parable of the talents who hid it in the ground. And what did he get? He, got the, he didn't get the good and faithful servant. He got you lazy, slothful servant. And he got thrown out into the weeping and gnashing of teeth place. Nothing about money is easy. Nothing about money comes down to a black and white. What's funny to me, if you really want to see it from my perspective, is most people in the church do not know how to make money, do not take seriously their obligation to build kingdom wealth, and yet they're still materialistic. Pick one. But at this point, the church is out on both counts. It's heavily materialistic, and it doesn't know how to build kingdom wealth. So Jesus would come in and slam it on both accounts. People in the church sit on auto drive, like you've heard me say for the last four weeks, and don't make enough money, don't invest their talents, don't do what God wants them to do, and just kind of cruise through life without building kingdom wealth. But then we spend the whole time that we're cruising lusting for items. That can't be. Let's go to the next slide. I want to tie it back to what we've been talking about. Remember Jesus' warnings, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Where does that come from? It comes from this story that we've been using for the last three weeks that so should be very familiar to you, the rich fool. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions, and he told them this parable, and he's linking it. So a man's life does not consist of his possessions. Now here's a parable for me to explain it so you get it. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. We use this parable to define hoarding. The penalty for hoarding in this case was death. God said to him, you fool this very night. Your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Again, the last line is the punchline. As we said with hoarding, the way that you don't hoard is to give it away. That's why you're building kingdom wealth, not your own wealth. Now that we're talking about materialism, the key to escaping materialism is not to live an ascetic life where you have nothing. The key to getting over materialism is learning to be rich towards God. It's the same parable, same explanation, same punchline. 
You want to avoid materialism? Learn how to give. And give generously and give more and give because giving is the cure for materialism. I don't know that there'll ever be an absolute cure for it because we're sinful creatures and we lust and we love things. And we're by our nature idolatrous and adulterers. From the Garden of Eden forward, we're always going to be that way. So it's hard to get rid of materialism. But the cure for it, if there was an antidote, would be giving, healthy giving, learning to give it away. And in the next couple weeks, finally, we're getting to giving. And I said we would not talk about it till we talked about all the other aspects of money that we have to get right. And we can start talking now about giving, now that we know a little bit more, that it's going to be the antidote to our materialism. And of course, we'll be talking about giving in terms of poverty and relief in other nations, but also giving and tithing. We'll spend a little bit of time on that. But there's that balance that will always be there between the need for us to make kingdom wealth, build kingdom wealth so that the master will be pleased with how we invested the money he gave us. And at the same time, not being caught up in keeping it like this man did, hoarding it, so we give, and we give generously. Look, you guys, I hope you're starting to see the pattern. That there's a pattern that starts with getting out of debt so you can free up funds. Learning to budget so you can figure out where to cut and free up more funds. Learning how to save so you're still build that wealth. Learning how to invest so you can turn those few dollars into millions for the kingdom of God. And now we're stepping into the next part, which is don't stop there because that's not enough. Now it's time to give it away, which is where we go next week. And in giving, that's the magic formula that starts to translate Jesus' words in, don't store up treasures here. Store them up in heaven. And we're like, how do you do that? It's going to be in giving that we make that magical transformation and exchange currency here on earth for the treasures that await us in heaven. Okay? So stay with us for a week or two. You'll see that we're going somewhere with this. And we're doing it, like I said, like we always do, in a way that isn't normally done because most churches would freak out if you did five or six weeks on giving or money or anything. Let's pray and close. Jesus, I pray that you open up our hearts and help us give because we are so materialistic. I am the first. I love the nest that I'm building for myself in this life. And it would be so hard for me to give it up. And maybe that's the most instructive word tonight is that in my own heart I know that I covet those things and I love those things and that I find my comfort and my strength in those things and sometimes even my hope. Lord, we confess openly that we do not look forward to heaven. We confess openly that we do not even look for you sometimes in the midst of our day. That the things of this world that shine and sparkle catch our eye so much more than you do, Lord. And it just shouldn't be that way. And Lord, I'm, I'm struggling to find a way to overcome that. It's so hard for me. I'm distracted easily by the things in this world. Lord, I thank you again for the time that we've laid aside. Thank you. May it produce fruit in our hearts and our minds. May it change lives in this room. May we not be the same about materialism, about money. Lord, we do these things for a reason. When we're done with this series, I pray that every person in this room have found the conviction to get rid of that debt, to find ways to free up money, to find ways to invest for kingdom purposes. 
to learn the power of money used in the right way as you instructed us to use it. And also, Lord, to flee from the temptations that the devil would have for our hearts and the things that are wrong with money. I pray, Lord, in the coming weeks that you give us an overwhelming desire to give and to learn how to make more money, to give more money. Not just because there's treasures in heaven, Lord, but because we truly want to do what is right for our brothers and sisters in this world. Pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.